0: Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Road. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think can help you improve your brain health, feel better, and live your best life. This week's guest is a dear friend of mine, Donna James. Donna James is a functional medicine, nutritionist, and cognitive behavioral therapist with practices in both New York City and Los Angeles. She has her master's of science in medical nutrition from Columbia University and received her training in cognitive behavioral therapy from the Beck Institute. Her initial internship was at the Brain Bio Center in London, an outpatient facility for people with mental health disorders. And it was at this facility where she first witnessed the power of food in changing the brain and the mind. She is the author of the best-selling book, The Archetype Diet, which has helped thousands of women improve their self-worth, release childhood shame, and find equilibrium in their physical body. She's also been featured in the New York Times, Time Magazine, Forbes, Vogue, Elle, Goop, and offers unique perspectives on physical body and mind integration. Donna, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Hi,
1: Drew. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: And actually speaking about your last book, The Archetype Diet, you were at our Feel Good Summit last year talking to the incredible community that we brought together. And your top, your topics was, your topic was a huge hit with the audience. It,
1: it was. And it was really one of the first times that I'd spoken about it publicly. And by the end of the conference, you couldn't get into the room. And that made me feel like so, so honored to be there, but just how necessary this information actually is.
0: And we're going to dive, dive into it all. You have a very very unique uh, background and the work that you do is really amazing. You know, you help women personalizing their approach to really achieve their goals. And I want to start off the interview talking about a goal that a lot of people have, not just men, not just women, mm-hmm. but men too. And that is weight loss. Yes. Traditionally for Many years, for pretty much the last, I would say, 75 years, 100 years, the primary goal of weight loss was to look better, to fit in those genes. And obviously, as the wellness movement grew, we started to understand that, like, it's not all about weight loss, mm-hmm. it's about feeling good, feeling healthy, but still, people sometimes have a goal of weight loss. And we've heard in the past in this podcast about how. Uh, certain types of, uh, fat can actually operate as like a hormone inside the body. So there can actually be benefits to, to, to losing weight. So you have a very interesting approach to weight loss and the intersection of emotions. Give me the big picture and we're going to dive into this topic in so many (laughs) different ways, but give me the big picture and how that's incorporated into your practice. So, I
1: mean, you raised an interesting point. I'd love to circle back to the concept of where we are with weight loss and our perception of weight loss today, because there's actually quite a lot of shame around wanting to lose weight, particularly with women. Um, And I want to get into that. But let me just give you this overall picture of what I think the equation is for fat loss.
0: Absolutely. So
1: it's food, it's exercise. We know that. It's inflammation. It's looking at the gut microbiome. It's looking at hormones, but it's also looking at unexpressed emotions. So, to me we need to factor in all of these components in cases of complicated fat loss right because some people are really simple it might just be food and exercise but for the vast majority of women and men that I work with it's much more layered than that like I'm really fortunate that I work with a very educated demographic they no one's coming to me eating pizza and on a regular basis and drinking soda they're coming to me having tried so many programs and being really devastated that nothing is working for them and they don't understand why because the fixation has principally been on the diet. And while the diet is a core piece to it, it's one factor, absolutely one factor in it. So uh, very early in my practice, and I've been practicing for 12 years, I had a real awakening I had this woman, I'd been practicing for six months, so that's that's not long. I had a woman come in, she was about 55 years old, and she was getting married for the first time. She was losing weight, losing weight, losing weight on the program, and then boom, she just started to plateau. And for four weeks, she didn't move, and I was seeing her on a weekly basis, not liking that at all. Like, what's going on? And because I was new in my practice, I didn't want to take her to a little bit more of an extreme program to push her there, which I would absolutely do today. And then two weeks later, she came back and she dropped five pounds, just like that. And she said to me, oh, I had this dream. And in this dream, I said to myself, it's okay for you to let go of your fat suit. You can step out of this now. And what she'd done is her subconscious mind had correlated losing body fat with when she was going through chemotherapy. So being skinny was a place of not being safe for her. Now, she was an oncologist and she was so shameful about the breast cancer that she had. She didn't even put it in on her intake form when she came to see me. So every day she's being confronted with this. And then as she allowed herself to say, this losing weight isn't you in a state of illness. It's actually a state of healthiness. The weight came off. And it was so powerful for me to see that. And I see this consistently. And it's really interesting for me. I will see five pounds come off. It's a five pound and it doesn't matter whether the person is 225 pounds or there are 140 pounds. It's just five pounds. The other day I had a new client come to me and for the first four weeks she hadn't lost anything and her diet was beautiful. So I have my clients um, take photographs on an app so I can really see what they're actually eating. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like she'd made these massive shifts in her diet. So there's an expectation that she should have some weight loss. Now, there was an intuitive part of me that was like, some of us just plateau for a little bit and then we drop. In that same session though, I said, let's start having a look at the, the psychological aspects of of, it's shame. Shame's a huge piece here. And, and you know, what her presentation was to the world. And she's known as one of my archetypes as the nurturer. So really wanting to people please. Really right.
0: In the archetype diet, you have four I do. archetypes. We're going to talk about that a little yep. later on. And one of the ones that this woman was, was the nurturer. The
1: nurturer. So always wanting to, to, to very beautiful archetype, wanting to, to make sure that everybody's happy. And so as we started to dissect that, and she was the daughter of a pastor, and so you, I won't go into the case but um, you know lots of lots of feeling like she needed to be this perfect princess and then two weeks later she dropped 10 pounds 10 pounds and I'm like wow so over a six-week period she dropped 10 pounds but it was through this one I'd say an integration of the mind piece and also just because it was sometimes there's just a plateau there So I would say that from my history, five pounds is through understanding and having a look at the emotional blocks there. And five pounds is probably just a little bit of the, okay, it's now time for the body to let go.
0: Why does the body hold on to weight as related to emotion? Of course, if we listen to, um, you know, sort of the conversation on Instagram or even like scientists out there today that are not sort of privy to this world of functional medicine you know, it's, they just say it's calories in and it's calories out. What role does emotion play when it comes to uh, weight retention in the body? Like what is the mechanism of why that would be happening?
1: So I would say it's protection. So it's not feeling safe. And there are far too many women out there who don't feel safe, sometimes on a physical level, but definitely on an emotional level. So it, we use a classical example of some, some a woman who's um, – worried about the extra male attention that she may receive when she loses body fat so um a client of mine she's i think she's around 170 and at a time in her life she was 130 and noticed that she had a lot more male attention she's married to a husband that is very jealous and there is no doubt a subconscious piece here that says, oh, I don't know how to handle this extra male attention if I'm at 130. And she has one experience of being, there's a little bit of sort of, not quite sexual harassment, but it, it sort of was edging on that, that she has a memory of. So there are normally some type of experiences that, that back that up. That's one case. The, the An obvious case would be that there's a joy that can come from secret eating? Um and and this this like deep satisfaction with that that has happened happened in childhood. So when clients of mine have been put on a diet at a young age they feel a sense of shame, they don't always understand it. And then they like, one of the behavioral responses is to go and secret eat food and eat candy like in their bed. And so they and it's a great sense of joy for them. Like it's an escape their little retreat. And they will carry that thought and those patterns into adulthood. And it can be really difficult to 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 sort of break that apart for them. And it can they can keep the body fat They can lose the body fat and then they can gain the body fat back because when they look in the mirror, they don't look like themselves. So it's really foreign for them. Nobody wants to not feel like themselves. So one of the techniques that I have with my clients is I have them really start looking at themselves, like sort of one to two minutes a day and really increasing that. So they're starting to really connect in, looking at at the mirror. mirror, It doesn't necessarily need to be a full body. It can certainly be in the face because that's the biggest shift that we'll see. That's where we tend to lose the body fat first is in the face. Really connecting in with that to go, this is me. And I'm completely and utterly entitled to lose this weight and be at this lower weight. People, particularly women who have um, carried a lot of weight and, and hitting into that obese category, they will feel like second-class citizens. So, one particular client, that's how she felt. She was like, she was all, felt like she was always going to be the one that was left to the wayside. She was never going to marry the man. She was always going to have to be in dowdy clothes. And, and, she lost this weight she went from like 270 to to 180 and lost the weight and she also had gotten back with her ex-boyfriend ex-boyfriend now she's married and she f- just felt so incredible that she was able to wear this really pretty dolce dress and and you had to really get her in there to like claim it that this was actually her and she didn't never no one needs to feel like a second-class citizen but to know this is me i'm entitled to live a life like this just like everybody else
0: so, I want to talk more about the the science of of that and emotions and 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 weight loss and stress, but first, I want to start with like a bigger question you know some there's there's a there's a really i'm very happy that we're having this larger conversation around should we be focusing on weight loss should we not be focusing on weight loss and there's different people that are coming from different components. I would love to get your take on it. Do you think that this woman and many other women and men mm-hmm. can relate to feeling like a second class citizen because we as a society are just way too focused on weight loss? What are your thoughts about it?
1: Well, it's it's twofold. So on a macro level, it's so important that we continue to change the social stigma around weight gain and obesity. That's crucial that we start to get more acceptance there. Part of the issue there is that... Being overweight is still still perceived as being gluttonous, and therefore it can be regulated. Like I feel, like like that that
0: if you are overweight, you're overweight. You have
1: no control. And and we have had a wonderful advancements in terms of accepting races, gender, sexual preference. We've really advanced there. We're not there with fat yet. We are not there. There is still so much prejudice Because we're there. still
0: told that it's calories in, calories out. So if you can't do it, you're eating too much, you're secretly and just, eating this, uh, that, and that's just not true.
1: It's just not true. It's so much more complicated than that. While you and I have just focused on the emotional side, like the physical piece with all of the, the hormones and the, the gut, gut microbiome, microbiome and inflammation and sleep and connection, all of that hugely plays into it, hugely. So, so we need to have a greater understanding of what fat loss is truly, truly, about so that we can th- – so there's less judgment because what happens is that that person judges themselves, judges themselves more than society does. Like they blame themselves for why can't I lose the weight? I, I Really, I will have women coming in and men who's like diet is perfect and they don't understand it because they have the, we have this very limited view of what fat loss is about. But then the second piece to that, it's just the internal piece what's wrong with wanting to lose some weight, right? Just it, It's okay. If you want to do that, you better well claim that because you've got to work for it,
0: right? Because you're sort of putting it in the category that we shouldn't give any more preference to fat loss, which is what society does. They prioritize fat loss above everything else, even sometimes feeling better, but we shouldn't give any less attention to fat loss, like the same way that somebody has a goal of, I want to write a book or I want to run a Spartan race or I want to do something. If somebody wanted to have the goal of wanting to lose weight, that's perfectly fine. It's yes. no different than wanting to, and to do that in any other category in their life.
1: Yes. We need to stop judging that.
0: We need to stop judging it in both ways. Stop Correct. giving it more attention and stop judging people who want to give it attention.
1: That's exactly right. Mm. And there's actually a gender split here. So I will find that men, when men want to lose weight, it's like, I want to get rid of my dad bod, right? We encourage that as a, as a society. We're like, yeah, like, let's, let's help him get rid of his dad bod. If a woman says that, it's like, you don't need to lose the weight, right? So then she's like, you started, should
0: just like, accept, yourself, just how just you accept are, yourself how you are, you know, just be yourself.
1: Yeah, you're great. Don't worry. And then it's like, yeah, but I don't feel good within myself. And so here it's or like. Or
0: even if you do feel good, because there's plenty of women, I'm sure that are listening that feel good. And it's like, oh, great. I want to look a little better.
1: Yes, that's that's Because right. that
0: matters to me. And some people don't care about that. And that's but fine, But what you're too. saying is that there's a gender split that a man can kind of say societally that he wants to lose weight for whatever reason, mm-hmm. that he either doesn't like his body mm-hmm. or that he just has a goal to see if he wants to do it and we're encouraging. Yes. And a woman would say that. And as a whole, society is not as encouraging.
1: And she feels a sense of shame there. And so I also want to clarify if you don't want to lose the weight, you feel good where you are, no matter what your weight is. Fantastic! It's just giving people who want to lose the weight the opportunity to do that and not feel judged, and a program to do it.
0: It's almost like uh, you know. There's a friend of mine. Her name is uh, Esther Perel. Uh, yes, uh, love, York love Jasmine. Esther. <laughs> She's so great. You know, she has this analogy. She says, you know. She wrote a book recently uh, called The State of Affairs, all about infidelity and diving Mm -hmm. into that complicated subject and all the layers in it. Um, And she said, you know, we used to chastise people, primarily women. We used to chastise women for uh, leaving the relationship if they found that their partner, like let's say in the 60s, right, 50s, 60s, if a woman found out that her partner was cheating, you know, she might even be told by other women in society why would you like, don't mess up your family. Don't mess up your home. And now we are on the other end of if somebody does find, and this is both for men and women, Mm -hmm. uh, if they do find out that there's infidelity in the relationship and they want to work it through because maybe they feel like they also played a part in it. They were ignoring their partner. They did this and men go through this as well. They want to work it through with the person. They're often chastised for staying in the relationship. So what you're sharing is that we have this interesting thing where for the history of sort of modern society, Western society, uh, North America, Europe, we chastise women for being overweight, Mm -hmm. right? And, and judge their bodies. Yes. And now it's kind of going the other way that if they genuinely for their own motivations want to lose weight, we're chastising them for not just accepting who they are.
1: Yes. And, and on that, and I always want a woman to accept her body for where it is. And then if she doesn't like something, it's okay with that. And then to do something about it. But at no point do you want to be not accepting your body. It's to say, yeah, this is where I am today.
0: It's like not deciding that you're going to accept your body once you lose the weight. It's accepting your body right now. Regardless, regardless. of where the weight is. And I think that's a new concept and phenomenon for a lot of people. So how does a man or a woman get to a place, and we know societally this tends to be placed on women, Mm -hmm. how does somebody step into a place where they accept their body now as it is? What is the process of getting there? That really
1: depends on the person. So, And this is where my archetypes come in. And I think it might be best to explain the archetypes and and circle back to that. And
0: talk about the concepts. So let's go through each archetype and then just tell us a little about why you came up with this archetype methodology.
1: Yep. So the archetype, there are four archetypes which are applied to women, although it could easily be applied to men. The first archetype would be the nurturer archetype. And this is where a, a, I'm going to use a woman because that's normally who I'm talking to. Sure. Um, source a sense of self-worth from giving to others. So they have a very open heart. And the the last thing they want to do is upset or disappoint anybody because their entire goal is the complete opposite of that. And that particular imprint, like all of the archetypes developed in childhood, so something happened which caused them to say, my ability to be able to give to you creates my sense of self-worth. And it's normally from something attached to a negative memory and it's a coping strategy for the shame. So shame and self-worth are interlinked. They're like the the opposite side of the same coin. And and so for many of my nurturer, men and women, it's that somebody in the household was sick. It could have been a sibling who had some type of – Um, like ADHD and they required more attention or or something like that. Or there was a parent that was away, there was some type of alcohol or drug abuse. So the nurturing in the house was actually missing and they stepped in to play that role. So for one of my female clients who's a quintessential nurturer, her mother wasn't in the house that often because she was looking after her aunt because her aunt had cancer and so it wasn't any tragic situation but that loss of that motherly love it just wasn't there for her and she felt like she needed to step into the, that role of the of of the nurturer there so therefore really had this belief that i am worthy because of what i do around the house and what i can give to you so if you are like that while it's a wonderful personality trait when it's out of balance it's really damaging Because there's the people pleasing, the self-sacrificing, everybody before you. And what does that lead to? That leads to... Adrenal issues, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues. There's a lot of correlation with autoimmune diseases and there's childhood experiences. There's something called the ACE study, Average Childhood Experiences. And out of there's only 10 questions, and if you have four uh, positive answers to this, you have a 60% increase in getting an autoimmune disease. So this is where I put the nurturers there. Why is that the case? It's partially because of how the nurturers end up coping their coping strategy is to use more comfort-based foods because they are not getting their own nourishment. Their role in their mind is that they need to give the nourishment to other people and feel guilty about accepting help and nourishment from others. So their comfort typically comes from food, not always but typically. And then with that type of eating, if you're eating comfort-based foods, you're going to spike your insulin levels. Then you're going to cause more body fat to be stored all over the body because that's what insulin does. That insulin is then going to interfere with your hormones and, in particular, your sex hormones. So you're going to have more of an elevated level of estrogen and testosterone because the higher the insulin, the higher the free available levels of those hormones. So then, if you have an elevated level of estrogen, it's going to set you up for fibroids and endometriosis and risk of breast cancer. And from a body fat perspective, you will tend to store it around your your upper thighs if you're a woman. If you're a man. It's um, more on the upper back. And so so I use body fat as a tool for me to really understand like what are these dominant hormones that are at play and I work through that. But that's like the nurturer archetype. So when we're looking at that archetype and you want to change, help this person change where their body fat is being stored, you've got to go all the way back to how was this imprint created, how really looking at that because... If you're trying to take out these comfort foods, it's really difficult for them, like the client that I was talking about that used to like, eat candy in the bed because that's their coping strategy. That's their safety.
0: They don't feel fulfill, fulfilled in one area and they have the thing that they can control in the other area.
1: Yes. Yep. So then there's the Wonder Woman archetype. And the Wonder Woman archetype is the sense of self-worth comes from success and recognition. And society very much promotes that. And this is like that A-type personality always needing to be the best or certainly up there. So it's push, 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 push. And um, that, again, will typically come from a wound. It might be the expectation of a parent to be the best. And I have one client of mine where she came home and she had like a B plus, and her mother said to her, I know you can do better than that. So she felt this sense of shame and like, oh, my God, I never want to disappoint my mother. I don't ever want to feel that. You can imagine, you know, someone just like shrinking from that and therefore you create this, okay, got to be the best, got to be the best, got to be the straight A student. I was the same. My father remembers driving me to one of my teacher's homes when I was 16 because he gave me an A-. And I was like, that's just not right
0: you were like that's not right or your father's not
1: no I was like that's not right that's how not is right. that possible like I had to be the best <laughs> right?
0: so I want to pause for one second and as you're explaining this and I want you to continue to go through this archetype and the rest of them just as I'm hearing you are these things that you choose are there things that are chosen for you is this nature is this nurture when it comes to the
1: archetype, yes it's nurture it is not nature this emotional component is purely driven by your experience in childhood. And it is something that you have created. Uh, something, it's a Typically, a misinterpretation, because up until the age of twenty-one, your prefrontal cortex is not fully formed, and your prefrontal cortex is where we create our rational. Where we have that's where how we have rational decisions. So everything is run through the filter of emotions. So when somebody says something negative to us, it just could be a tone in their voice. We will retreat. Oh my goodness, I don't want to feel this again. And then we make a decision in our mind as to how we're going to cope here. So, like my my um, like my parents didn't encourage, didn't necessarily enc- They weren't saying you need to get the the A plus. This all came from me. And it came from me because my mother and father separated. Uh, I got divorced by the time I was 12. And and I saw my mother's own sense of self-worth just disintegrate by having to rely on my father's handouts and, and my grandmother. And I was like, I am never going to be in a situation where my financial stability is dependent upon somebody else.
0: So it's almost like... In certain schools of philosophy and, and psychology, there is a painful situation or moment. Mm-hmm. Where we're trying to make sense and understand the world. And so we come up with a conclusion to protect ourselves from future imprints of that pain.
1: That's exactly what it is. So because of societal belief then, which was like the 1980s, woman can do anything and be anything. It, for me personally, and for many of my clients, it was like, well, I'm going to be successful like I'm going my my And that's my, how I avoid
0: this pain. That's how I avoid the pain. my mother went through.
1: And then you will typically have something positive that confirms that. In my case, I then had my father really uh, encu- encouraging me in a way to get everything right. It was like this wonderful connection with him and I, he would test me on things and if I didn't get 100% right, I'd like go back into my room and I would study all on my own accord. It was something that I actually wanted, wanted to do. And so that's where it gets... Um,
0: reinforced. Reinforced. Solidified. Yes. And you were probably, you know, you liked learning. I loved learning. I you still like do. learning and those are all great things. It's just that the motivation behind it sometimes was this decision to avoid pain.
1: Yeah, and, when, and what happens though is it sets us up for a lower sense of self if it's not there. And so if you're a Wonder Woman, you're going to feel amazing if you are achieving and you're successful. But if that success drops or the relevance of you drops, your sense of self can drop. And this here is what I want women to be able to alter, no matter what their archetype is. That it doesn't matter how successful they are or how amazing they are giving to others. It does not degradate their sense of self-worth.
0: If your self-worth is attached to something external, external. or that external thing's reflection of you... It's always going to go up and down, and so your self-worth is going to go going up to
1: and go down. It's going to go up and down, and, and that that's what we want going to avoid. Completely affects your health. But beyond that, though, so we'll stay with this Wonder Woman archetype. Yeah. If you are push, 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 what's the, what's the hormonal response from that? Yeah, what is it? You know what it Stress. is. Stress.
0: Yeah, which would be what cortisol,
1: right? So it would be cortisol. um, High levels of cortisol, high levels of adrenaline and noradrenaline. Cortisol we store body fat around the abdominal area. Um, Cortisol is going to interfere with the immune system. Adrenaline and excess levels of adrenaline and noradrenaline are going to set you up for states of anxiety. If it's also going to burn through your serotonin, so then you're going to have less of a buffer to deal with the anxiety. Plus, it's going to put you into a potentially more low blue mood, and you're going to start to get insomnia right? Depending on how well your coping strategies are. So in, we can get into to this, like if you start meditating and you do these other things, well, you start to mitigate part of that. But the, the root of it is, is that you've created this, this belief that you're worthy because of the, that you're so busy. It's so there's food responses from that. Right? It's the type of person who isn't prioritizing lunch you could have had meetings booked back to back to back and maybe you even scheduled half an hour for lunch but one meeting ran over and then somebody is coming to talk to you and then before you know it at four o'clock you're freaking starving because you haven't eaten anything then you get home you just shove food into your mouth you grab a glass of wine you eat some dark chocolate because that's the only thing that soothes you
0: and so you as a wonder woman archetype and obviously Mm -hmm. you've been doing this work for a while so you know what to look for what are some examples of, can you relate to any of that? What are some examples of your own personal, you know, coping? (laughs) I can
1: completely relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, um, so I was about 36 and 44 today. And I would say that this experience myself was really instrumental in me looking, understanding the emotional piece to, to it. And at, 36, I for the re- I was married when I was 25 and I got divorced when I was 31 and I'd moved from London to, to New York a little bit as an escape and I immediately found, found myself in another relationship. and by then, when I hit 36 it had broken up. And I had found myself alone in New York. And New York is a very distracting place. I was just busy doing everything. But underneath it all, and, and I didn't know it at the time. There was just this deep sense of, of missing this wonderful intimacy. And so I found it From a From a relationship. From a relationship. Um, and you don't notice it because that city is busy. I was busy doing everything. If anybody had said to me that maybe I was a little lonely, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and, and I had a thriving business and I had wonderful girlfriends. But there was just this longing for something more. And I couldn't place it. So I found myself eating, making and eating little cacao truffles, which we would call keto fat bombs today. <laughs> and, and, and my weight went up. <laughs> and it's amazing how we don't want to change those behaviors when they're coping strategies. So, so despite my weight going up and me being at my heaviest weight, I was like, it's just age. Or I'm just getting older. Because I didn't want to admit that I was actually using food as a suppressing tool to keep the emotions in check because – uh, and this is where we get emotional eating incorrect we think that emotional eating is i feel sad and therefore i'm just going to go and shove a bag of doritos in my mouth it's not always about the overexpression of emotion and using food to numb it it's also about not expressing emotion and try, using the food to keep it locked in and so with this wonder woman archetype like that's what she's really good at doing she has learned do not overly express your emotions if you have ever worked in corporate america you've got to keep them in check if you can't don't keep them in check you better watch out and so you swallow them and so this is the food was a way to lock it in and so I had like nine months of of really feeling like a failure I knew everything there was to know at that time I felt about nutrition and what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing but there was this visceral pull towards it that I couldn't fully understand and um, and then I had listened to a podcast and this woman, Christina Rilo, had said, part of self-love is self-trust. And the download just, it just dropped in. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't trust myself in the kitchen. It was like a fear zone for me. Like, like, it's like this magnetic pull towards it. And, and i was, like, wow, I'm really missing, I'm missing some self-love here. And if anybody had said that to me, I'm like, what are you talking about, right? I've got my boundaries up. I do all these wonderful things for myself. But on that deep, deep level, I, tr- I was missing that. I was missing that level of, of deep intimacy that we as humans just so crave. And it's, just, I know this is part of what you talk about a lot. And it's crucial that we really start to elevate the importance of that deep, intimate connection. Because guess what? As a society, we will not survive without it. We cannot survive without it. I mean, we've got to really start elevating that.
0: Hmm. So that was your coping mechanism and it was related to that sort of root
1: mm-hmm.
0: of missing that intimacy,
1: missing that intimacy. And
0: so was it just simply that when you got clear on that and you were like, oh, that's what's driving it. Okay, broke it. It totally broke it. It totally broke it. So it's not that you found that intimacy through another no. partner or other. No,
1: definitely not. And that's a really good but point. It just, that self-awareness completely broke it.
0: Because it you caught your pattern.
1: Yes. I, I caught it and then that then started me on my own pathway of looking inwards and looking at my relationship with my own mother and I was I, I, I really went deep into the spiritual work and it when you start going through that work it's like overwhelming like the first six months you're like oh my god I'm drowning in it all and then you feel like you float right. and you start sort of just peeling peeling and peeling off the layers sure. and for me I I didn't have anybody guiding me I was like finding my own pathway and through through all of the incredible women, no, incredible people that I worked with, it also fed into my own model of how I work with women today. And, you know, these wonderful healers, all sorts of realms from um, working. I work with this wonderful Russian physicist in, in New York City. He's in my office and does psychological profiling by looking at the symmetry in the face. Um, working with eft and a whole host of techniques
0: which is like the the emotional freedom technique tapping
1: the tapping is tapping and so it's really a bodily technique to to release trapped emotion
0: which are not in the brain but throughout the body body. that's why tapping is great we're going to talk more about tapping let's continue on these archetypes so you gave us the first two and you shared so much about your own journey And coping mechanisms. Let's talk about the next two.
1: So then the next one would be the femme fatale. And the femme fatale sources her sense of self-worth from her physical body. And if she's beautiful, she feels fantastic. If she does not feel attractive, it's like so damaging for her. And when the femme fatale is balanced, she's sparkly and radiant and magnetic and you just want to be around her. She's like very, very central and like electric. When she's out of balance, she's completely the opposite, and there there couldn't be more polarity between the two the two extremes here of being balanced and out of balance. No other archetype is such a polarity. The out of balanced, and people are on a spectrum here, so not everybody's going to be this out of balance. But it is a a a, a self loathing, a walking into a room and feeling. Not like the prettiest person there and then uh, I've got to go or not even turning up to social engagements because they don't feel attractive and I I know various women will do this and then they can go home and overeat because they they feel disconnected and really what they needed was that connection. So they found it in, in food. And, and it can get into all sorts of restrictive eating and orthorexia and then binge eating and shame. So this is the archetype that has the most amount of shame around, the, around their body and their relationship with food because they're sourcing their self-worth from the physical body. So this doesn't mean that that you're the femme fatale here if you want to be attractive. All of the archetypes want to be attractive. Why would that not be the case? It is something we do value in society just as we value success. But it, when, your, when your primary source of self comes from your physical body, it's a very painful place to be.
0: So for people that are listening right now, can you be a little bit, as we continue down the path of explaining all these archetypes, can you be a little bit of...
1: All all of them, yes. With
0: a primary?
1: Yes, that's exactly what it is. So we all have the positive attributes of those archetypes within us. And what we want to do is identify the dominant one so that we can understand where our blind spots are and unravel those because that's taking up a lot of space. Once that's unpacked, you have more mind space to actually cultivate the positive attributes of all the other archetypes. So to be balanced, it you are pulling on all four archetypes, but in the positive. Now, sometimes there will be the, the, the negative in two. But one will always dominate the other because you. Otherwise, you're in a constant conflict.
0: Because it's related to early childhood experiences yes. and sort of your framework of how you saw the world. But the goal is to get into a place where you have range and you can be anything that you want to be. It's, in yeah. this moment, if you want to be this, in the moment if you want to be a superwoman, and you're about to, you know, go into a, a board meeting because you're yes. the CEO of your company, you can be whatever you want to. Yes. Because you're just present with yourself and your body.
1: That's exactly right, and that's a beautiful peaceful and fun place to be so like you play the wonder woman in a business deal you play the central femme fatale in your relationship you play the nurturer with your motherly role or your friends like really bring that in but you've got to break that connection that your self-worth is based on one of those so that your dominant behaviors aren't pulling you constantly in that direction
0: Do you think uh, taking a shift, because there's so many cultural things that this (laughs) unravels and I love having an honest conversation about it all. I have two amazing sisters um, and I have so many amazing female friends and my mom and I have so many incredible uh, cousins who actually listen to this podcast. A lot of them are women who are just badasses and I just love and appreciate them all. Do you think that there's more pressures on women to be balanced?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. Um, uh, probably. Um, I think there's more of an acceptance of men to be a little out of balance. So we have this expectation as a society that it's okay for a man, a man, to be working his ass off,
0: and ignoring everything else, and ignoring everything else. And that's there's just a little, normal. This is normal, quote unquote, normal, normal.
1: and as a woman that's not the case um my my working mothers really struggle really struggle to find that that balance so there's a lot of guilt when they're at work and then um and they're really trying to balance it all the problem is is their expectations of themselves and that's and typically in the Wonder Woman category, it's to be the best at all of that. So I want to be the best worker. I want to be the best mother. I want to still look attractive, like to really have all of those. And that's extremely stressful and really unattainable. And instead, it would be to say, well, I want to be the best at balancing the equilib- having the equilibrium.
0: And so there's always that question, which is that especially for, let's say, uh, you know, most of the podcast listeners are, all right, it's probably about 70% women for the mm-hmm. Broken Brain Podcast. And within that, I would say that the, you know, there's a big chunk in the 35 to 50 yep. age range that listen to the podcast. And um, the question is always, so if it's if it's inner guilt, their own expectations, mm-hmm. sometimes the, the conversation today is that, well, the only reason that they had inner guilt is because when they were younger, it was those societal pressures that were placed on their own situations, like seeing their mom, Go through this, or they're, you know, this situation or that situation. So, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. Is it inner and just <laughs> we're born into it? Is this happen in other societies, or is it societal pressures from a young age to tell women that they need to be this way and not do this and do that that then create those internal pressures?
1: Yes. So, great question. We're always going to be influenced by the society and our own cultural and family values, but there is a specific experience that you have had that has caused you to create that belief. Otherwise, every single female out there would be my femme fatale. They would be like, I need to be pretty, I need to be pretty. And every man out there would be, I need to be successful, I need to be successful. And then every woman would be, I need to be pretty and successful, right, all of this here because that's what society's expectations really are. So they're there, but we have to swallow something. We have to have our own personal experience with that and, and that's where the difference, the really where the difference is. But what's wonderful about that is our personal experience, the perception of it can be altered. So, and as you alter that perception, so it's like the re—it's uh, there's a three-hour reprogramming process that I work with. It just recognize the memories, and then you reinterpret those memories, and then you have to energetically release those memories so that the pain of that is not trapped in the body. Once that is done, you are really free from that, and we can, we can come back to some of those if you want to work on that. So, yeah, I would say that, yes, the societal influence is there, but we've had a very personal experience with, with, with something that's happened.
0: Let's talk about the last uh, archetype. Ethereal.
1: <laughs> the poor ethereal always gets left. <laughs> and, um, um, so the the ethereal is, uh, she's very creative and imaginative and dreamy and um, tends to source her self-worth from those attributes and, and being a little different and unique. And she was typically considered like the weird girl that's girl at school. Like she didn't really integrate because couldn't really understand why there was an importance placed on the, the you know the academics or the physical body because it's so foreign to her. Uh and she can either stay with that but she'll often take on the mask of one of the other archetypes particularly the femme fatale or or the wonder woman as a way to try and get accepted now when that happens she's even more out of balance than what the the true archetypes are so if she but if she stays with her true ethereal ways then she can she can find herself she's typically not that integrated and feels a little displaced so her issue doesn't seem to be like weight she's actually very lean quite normally and but she's a little scattered so a little anxious a little depressed um, tends to have gum microbiome issues and just not feeling connected so why is that the case because the ethereal tends to be a little low in estrogen and with these lower levels of estrogen, then you're going to have more of these mood issues of um, anxiety and and um, some depression because estrogen is an accelerator to to serotonin. And then there's she's very sensitive, like very sensitive to everybody is. Thoughts, the environment, and food. So she was often quite fragile when she was growing up and could have had lots of um, allergies, and she will still have that today. And typically, really, some uh, severe digestive issues like constipation, IBS, bloating. um, And she can have, you know, acne and all dry skin, either either one. But it's, you know, stemming from the gut microbiome and and the estrogen piece there. One of the things that would really balance her is just becoming much more grounded and much more grounded with her food. But when you're an ethereal and if you're caught in your creative, imaginative ways, the last thing that you were thinking about is food. And so you end up just completely skipping meals and that goes against what you need to rebalance yourself. Also, what I see happening is because of these digestive issues, they start following this very restrictive autoimmune elimination diet. And so they're not eating any grains and uh, pretty much a, a paleo type of diet with animal protein and some light vegetables that is not the balancing food program for them. They need things to keep them much more grounded and to stimulate the estrogen levels. So the, they need to follow more of a macrobiotic approach. A vegan diet is actually an excellent choice for them. And because they have the ability to be able to handle more carbohydrates, which is the complete opposite of the nurturer, then, then they can eat more in a vegan way because they're not gaining weight from eating a higher level of carbohydrates to get their amino acid levels in. And so the, the, I love the ethereal. I mean, I love all of the archetypes. The ethereal is she just gets displaced. She just feels not fully accepted by society. Now what's wonderful is as a society we are now really starting to value the importance of, of intuition and, and putting it on par with, with intellect. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next sort of decade or so as to, as to where my ethereals are. Because once my ethereals find out that they are – truly an ethereal, it's really quite miraculous. So I had a friend of mine that, uh, that came to see me. and um, she owned a large PR company in New York city but was super stressed and drinking you know, two to three glasses of wine a night, carrying the extra little bit of body fat and just, just, just a typical stressed out New York woman, like look, appearing like a wonder woman. And as I listened to her, I was like, oh, wow, like, no, like, truly, you're an ethereal. Uh, it, it's, it's, we got to get you back to that and owning all of that. It was a major awakening for her and she moved out to California moved out to LA and gave up her business and has now started a brand new business, which is so much more successful than the PR company that she had because she was running lots of stuff and so forth. And she's out surfing and hiking, and her business is much more aligned with that. And a huge shift because she was like, This is not, I'm not, I'm not in alignment with who I am. I'm supposed to be near the water. I'm supposed to be in nature because that's how, that's how we all thrive. But for, theory, or even more so, they thrive in that environment.
0: So you have your uh, training in functional medicine, you have your degree and your master of science in medical nutrition, right? You have your training in cognitive behavioral therapy. And so what I'm understanding, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you've taken kind of all your formal training and how to personalize programs for people and approaches, and diet is only one component of that. Obviously, there's gut microbiome, there's all these other aspects of it, um, with your own uh, experiences, patient experiences, and this approach of understanding how like core insecurities get developed inside mm-hmm. the body, and it's kind of the combination of them all that has led to this unique approach that you have in your practice.
1: You got it. Yes, all right. I'm with you. I'm with you
0: because I think the, I think the thing that's there is that you know these are helpful tools. They're frameworks. This archetype mm-hmm. is a framework. That makes it easy to see the missing piece. You know, you wrote a really beautiful post on uh, Instagram uh, last month in 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 uh, January, and you were taking people through the history of fat loss strategies through the decades. Mm-hmm. So in in the eighties, it was all about calories in, calories out, and that's when sort of yep. the uh, modern fitness end of se- mid seventies, beginning of the eighties, you had sort of like fitness becoming a big thing and infomercials with fitness <laughs> and that sort of stuff. Uh, Jane Vonda. Jane Vonda. <laughs> The 1990s, there was uh, a little bit, right, a little bit of an understanding of lowering glucose and insulin. I I would say that, that also, even today, we're fighting against of people even understanding the role of spiking insulin and the impact on weight loss. And then it was decreasing inflammation. Mm-hmm. We understood the role of inflammation and that inflammation, it's not just about calories in and out. Inflammation can actually impact uh, weight. And then there was the gut microbiome, yes. which has been a big topic, and we've had many... Uh, people on this podcast talk about that. And then the future is all about the emotional component. And so these frameworks that you've developed help us give some understanding to how centralized your emotions are as it relates to not only your health goals, but your entire life.
1: That's absolutely right. And the archetypes, they're just a model. They're a model to take something extremely layered and complex and to simplify it because there's so much information out there about health, whether it's fat loss or other things. And I wanted to offer women woman a roadmap. So to say, oh, this is my archetype and this here is the starting point for me. I don't address everything in there because it's impossible.
0: It's impossible. So
1: it's And this is a basis of functional medicine, which is really about personalizing it. So you, would, you start with the, the archetype diet for you and you work on the mind piece and you do all of that. But let's say that you have SIBO, you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Well, I'm not addressing that. And let's say that if you're a nurturer and I've asked you to eat more cruciferous vegetables to support the detoxification of estrogen, well... Following the, if you have SIBO, eating those vegetables would be contraindicated with that. Sure, because you got you got to pull have, those those out.
0: People might have all sorts of different issues. They might have mm-hmm. mitochondrial function issues. They might have gut microbiome issues. So all that stuff has to be layered in. But the archetype information is still useful because the challenge is today people are all trying to follow the same diet. Yes, they have somebody that they look up to, whether it's on Instagram or an author or something, and that person's pitching the same approach. To everybody, and unfortunately, in the health space, especially traditionally, it's been men, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Men yep. coming up with diets and programs that then you know women follow. And yes, listen, there's a lot of value <laughs> that we can learn from all genders. It's just that you know men and women are different, right? Men, men and women are different, and especially if you're a man, you may not always understand the needs that might be there for a woman. And you might, and you might not, but it's just that it was kind of all coming from, anyways, I won't go too far down that topic, but you were about to chime But it's,
1: it's the same with exercise. So you train a man like this and, and then it's often assumed that you train a woman in the same way. And that's just not true either. So i like, I'll give you a case of myself. Like in the, when was it? 1990s, must be no, 2000s, um, And I was following the Atkins diet in this attempt to like lose those last 10 pounds. And it was so awful for me. All that happened was my skin broke out and really cystic acne because I was overeating protein and I was eating horrible protein bars and I had horrible PMS. Plus I was training like a man. Like I had personal trainers that were all male and I just bulked up so there wasn't That any point in my my twenties where I really liked what my body looked like, I was always that. Some that and that that, that wasn't my goal. Some people that is their goal and that's wonderful, but if it's not your goal, then that's then you've got to find an alternative there. And and the really the archetype diet sort of to me feels like the it's like the next level of customization to the diets that are out there. So the nurturer. Diet would technically be classified as a paleo type of diet but I've really altered the specifics there. I don't have my nurturers eat red meat because of the influence of excess red meat on the testosterone levels. So I've got them on much more of a pescatarian plant. So yes, it falls under the paleo realm because it's really low in the, those starchy carbohydrates but it's beyond that and I'm being very specific about the vegetables that are going to help them support their own, their own estrogen levels. By the same token, that with the other archetypes, I'm not pulling out all of the carbohydrates for them like the paleo and ketogenic diet because they don't need to. Their bodies aren't that insulin sensitive that they need to restrict the carbohydrates to such a low level. Again, if that's what you want to be doing, that's that's fine. My philosophy is to be able to eat the most amount of – the most variety of food and still see success. That's what we want. It's very easy to keep restricting, 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 just like it is. You can say, go and run a marathon. Go and do that every day. Yeah, you're going to lose the weight. But is any of that sustainable? No, it's not. So we've got to find like much more equilibrium with all of the things that we do.
0: My sister read your book. And um, the thing that was really uh, great insight that she shared with me was that um, you kind of identified things that she just intuitively felt. Mm -hmm. And yep. I've heard this from other people, including women at, that were at the Feel Good Summit. Uh, you were identifying patterns that they just intuitively felt. So yes. it's not like people ha- aren't feeling these things. It's just you're solidifying it them, And then you're giving them a framework that they can test. And you try it. And then if it works for you, amazing.
1: Yes, exactly. That's so, exactly right. Let, should we go back to the question about the body acceptance?
0: Yes, let's go back to that.
1: So, So with... All of the archetypes besides the femme fatale, there's, I mean, they all want to accept their body. There's more of a willingness to accept where their body is today by trusting that they're on a plan to get them to a lower level of fat. It, so they the, the nurturers and the Wonder Woman, and if the Theral needs to lose some weight, they can do that. So it's like, I'm going to accept my body while knowing that I'm, taking action to move me towards my goal so they can mentally make that shift and if they when they're seeing results it just confirms that they're on the right approach and they're really happy with that with the femme fatale it's much more difficult because you are changing that imprint of I am worthy because what I look like so the it's very difficult or not not very but when they're out of balance, it can be very difficult for them to accept their body where it is. And that goes back into the reprogramming the childhood and understanding that there was some misinterpretation with that what their their memories of what happened there and then you can start to see that there's this shift there. Knowing, too, that the femme isn't always out of balance, like all of the archetypes of femme fatale, when she's in balance is really fun and playful and central and accepting and, 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 and joyful. So that's where we want to get her to.
0: Um, I want to talk about with the archetypes, one other component, which is we obviously we're talking about diet, but there's also the ways that they, we touched a little bit on exercise. There's also like relaxation
1: mm-hmm. and
0: reducing stress and how you recharge and recuperate. Can you take us through the archetypes and like what can be a primary tool? Because in this podcast, we've talked about the impact that stress has on all aspects of our bodies. And some archetypes might be more prone to it in one way or another, but everybody's impacted by stress. And our modern society is uh, often promoting that with the overstimulation that we have, Mm -hmm. especially if you live in a big city like New York, LA, or other places. So recharging is so important. So what are some of the tools in the toolbox for different archetypes when it comes to uh, recharging? So
1: uh, all the tools apply to all the archetypes rather than there being very specific tools right. for, each, for each archetype. So, so God, there's a whole host of them. The way that I talk to my clients is to say, well, what are you trying to, what are you trying to do here? Like, are you trying to release something? You're trying to release an emotion. Do you need to feel relaxed? Do you need to feel grounded? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Like what is your goal here? So you start to just make it a little bit more micro because there's the right tool for that. So, and i look at it like a jewelry box. So in the jewelry box we have lots of jewels, like wonderful jewels. You're not going to go and wear emerald earrings when you're going to go and work out at the gym. So we want to. So it's a similar thing. We want to find the right stress reducing tool, the most effective stress reducing tool in that moment. So from a releasing perspective, we got maybe you're angry or you're frustrated or there's something going on and the nervous system is on overdrive and you can feel the tingling. I can feel the tingling in my hands. I'm very sensitive to my own energy. And so what you need to do there is disperse that. So jumping up and down for two minutes, shaking the body. Just like, say, a dog does when he attacks another dog. What does he do afterwards? He shakes his entire body, right, to disperse the adrenaline and noradrenaline. That's all you need to do, disperse the adrenaline and noradrenaline. So jump up and down for two minutes. It doesn't take long. I have a rebounder. So after I see my clients, I jump up and down on that for 10 minutes just to shift that energy there because I'm picking up on all of their emotions. Um, it might be a beach walk. Um, it could be going to a boxing class. Um Breath. Breath is so powerful. It's one of my favorite tools of like really shifting that, that energetic response because with the nervous system, breathing, it will help to, com- will help to really alter the, the charge in the nervous system. So one of my favorite ones there. So if you're in overwhelm, what do you need? You're looking for clarity. So you might want to just take pen to paper then and write down, well, what's actually going on? What's causing you to feel overwhelmed? Because when we feel overwhelmed, what's happened is that we feel like we don't have enough coping skills. So when you write something down on paper, you get clarity to go, oh, actually, this is all that it is, right? This, and you can then create a strategy there. Let's say you are looking to feel relaxed. Then it'll be, you take a bath, you use some essential oils, it could be call a girlfriend, um, uh, any, anything along that front that, that helps you relax it could be a massage it could be sex it could be holding hands something like that if you need to feel grounded particularly if you're an ethereal because you're just like oh my god I'm so scattered from, from the day cooking a nourishing meal is one of the most grounding things that you can actually do you might play with some crystals and hold that for a while Uh, You might play with some rocks. Rocks are really good for ethereals. I need something like really, you might go and walk in the park, hold onto a tree, sit next to a tree, something like that. And then of course there's, there's, you know, meditation. Meditation is such an important daily practice to have in place because it not only alters the cortisol response at that time, it has a cumulative effect of really shifting where in the brain that you start to respond from. So most of us, if we, if we are not um, conscious of it, we will tend to respond from the limbic part of the brain and so we, uh, it's that very much that emotional response. And with meditation, you shift it into that prefrontal cortex, which is like much, much more rational. So I feel the, really the benefits of meditation is just it's more that cumulative response that you're getting because you're just much more calmer in your approach. So, like, lo- so many tools, but you can find the, the most effective one for you at that time.
0: Yeah, and choose that. Choose that. And try. And I think a big part of your work is just personalizing, trying things mm-hmm. on for you, because there's only so much that you're going to learn. I mean, having amazing practitioners in your world is incredible, and they can be great Sherpas on the journey. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, every single person has to sort of figure out what works for them and then what works for you last year may not work for you that's
1: completely right yeah that's why i like the analogy of the jewelry box it's like you've got all of these jewels in there and you just got to find the one that you're going to to pull from
0: so earlier we talked about tapping Mm -hmm. and that was one of the tools that inside the toolbox and i said we're going to come back to it and sometimes i say that in the podcast and i forget (laughs) so i want to make sure (laughs) that i actually do get a chance to talk about it uh what is eft and how can somebody use it and um in their life and what is what are the benefits of it?
1: It's emotional freedom technique and I look at it as a releasing technique. So it's using acupressure points and affirmation theory to bring about a drop in the nervous system response at that point in time. So if you think about it, when we get really excited and almost in a um, sort of shock type of response, like we can feel like people will, oh, I'm almost, I'm really anxious or I'm getting into that panic attack stage. It's you can use EFT right then and there to alter that the nervous system's response and in particular the vagus nerve. And um, there are are techniques you could sort of Google as to actually what you need to do. I personally worked with a tapping coach and I chose to work on childhood patterns versus dealing with the day-to-day. So I felt that it was I wanted to be in the safety of somebody when I was discussing things that were upsetting to me from childhood and that person's presence as well as bringing me, because what happens is you need to go back into that experience and feel the emotions that you felt at that time to release it. So if if it feels upsetting to you to be able to do that, you want to have somebody that you feel safe with to take up those emotions and then the tapping will help to, to drop those emotions down so you are truly clearing it releasing it from the body. So you might have an experience and when you go into the, the emotions feel like they're at a level of eight and then when you do the tapping and you might do the tapping, when I was doing it with a tapping coach, we'd tap on one particular issue for half an hour or so and you have it drop from like an eight down to a two. And the advocates of tapping will say that it takes seconds to experience a trauma. So, why can't it take seconds to unravel it?
0: Or interrupt it?
1: Yeah, or, or interrupt it, right? And so, so. Doesn't never took seconds for me, but you know, half an uh, hour yeah. is um, really quite fast. And there are other modalities out there. So Peter Levine, who's one of the um, world's top trauma experts, has something called somatic experience, which is about like really getting into the body to to release the the trapping of what's happened in the nervous system. Yeah, uh, cranial sacral it... therapy is another really good one because normally what's happened is there's been some type of shock and it's altered the the pathway in the vagus nerve, so. The, The vagus nerve is – it's called the polyvagal theory and it's – like the theory is it's split between two areas, between what we know as the parasympathetic state, that very relaxed state, but also the frozen state. And so, when you move into like a frozen state, like that's the <gasps> type of type of response there. And 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 um, all of these techniques that we're talking about are helpful for really bringing the vagus nerve back into alignment.
0: Beautiful. Um, <laughs> before we talk about where people can find you and all the incredible work that you're up to, I want to go back to uh, something that we started off in the beginning, which is society and the different sort of uh, pressures that it can place and. It, you know, we're such a amazing age where we're having very open and honest conversations. We need way more, mm-hmm. and we're becoming aware of just a lot of the uh, traumas that women go through, uh, through just, uh, it could be in the workforce, could be other things through the Me Too movement, uh, sexual abuse, other things like that, and men too, right? Some men, yes. but primarily women for a long time have gotten the short end of the stick and been really treated as second-class citizens in a way, right? And we're waking up as a society and we need a lot more work in that place. One of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about inside of body image, you know, my friend um, Anita Avalos, who's uh, um, uh, trained under Mark David and his Institute of Psychology, psychology yeah. of eating? Eating psychology. Um, she posted something really great on Instagram last year that uh, made an impact for a lot of the women that were in my uh, world. And she said, um, my body is not up for discussion. (laughs) Yes. Right. And and I thought that was so beautiful, you know, coming from an immigrant family, like growing up, you know, I was always, I was vegetarian growing up. I was always kind of like skinny, Mm -hmm. thin, that sort of stuff. People say things to you as a guy, they don't say things to you, but I would always pay attention. And a lot of the women, and a lot of my cousins and sisters, it was just a lot of conversation about their body. She's too thin, she's too fat, she's too this, she's too that, and just as a society as a whole, I would say that we talk a lot more about women's bodies, both men talking about women's bodies and other women talking about women's bodies and discussing it and trying to figure it out and that sort of thing, and not in a beneficial way, right? Right. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: So many thoughts. <laughs> I mean, just that comment, my body is not up for discussion, can not just about the physical body. It can also be about being pregnant. Like it's not – I think that's another piece. Like if you are a woman and you don't want to have a child, then there's some judgment with that too. I mean, there's a lot wrapped up in that. So, So, yes, as a society, it's an acceptance of all. That's where we need to be going towards. No matter what you look like, no matter what your sexual preference is, no matter what your gender or your race is, we need to move into into that space. And it it truly is an acceptance. Now, if you want to discuss something internally with a friend and it's about you by all means, you, you can do that. We also want to give information about things out there like like let's use the example of say pregnancy what's the choice here if you want to become become a mother and what's the choice here if you don't want to become a mother and and the same about the the weight loss side of things we want to make sure that the information is out there but on that very macro level it is a a pure acceptance of that we're humans right we're true we're truly humans and there should be no judgment based on any of our any of the ways that we look or any of our preferences
0: yeah and just not talking about each other's bodies without permission
1: yeah and i i feel like that has changed um so mothers these days my clients who are mothers are very careful not to discuss their physical body in front of their daughters and because they don't want to put that that energy onto their own daughter (laughs) Well, what happens though? Sometimes dad forgets, and dad can leave just as much of an imprint on that on that child. So, right. let me give you one, one story here: a client who, femme fatale, her really restrictive eater, and her father would sit at the table with everyone and say, I am at my, my high school rowing weight. And so in her mind, she's thinking, oh my goodness, I can't get above my high school weight. And then what he would do, he would actually go and eat ice cream and then get on the scale. And so there was this need to be at my high school rowing weight. It's actually okay to go and eat ice cream. And then I get on the scale. So there's, this this poor girl had just watched this here and swallowed it. So it wasn't anything that he said to her, but she had this misperception that she that that was normal. And also because dad was funny, it created this sense of connection there. So so just if you're a dad, like just just be careful <laughs> what you're saying about your own body as well.
0: Yeah, have honest and open conversations, but just like the patterns that we play out, our kids are going to take on those patterns.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah they might not, but but there's, there's a risk that, that they will.
0: Yeah, and I think that the big picture, zooming out again, is that uh, we, l- such, we live a such a privileged life if you have food on the table, if you have this ability and this component. And sometimes wellness and the approach and the striving for wellness can be placed, especially in the mainstream media, in this bucket of like, oh, this is only for fufu people who have, you know, uh, money, money and that sort of component. <laughs> so obviously, fat loss is one aspect of it. But everything that you talk about in your book is really around getting over chronic disease. Yes, right? yes, it is chronic disease. And fat loss is one of the early indications of something going on in the body and heading in that direction. But really, we're just trying to not I mean, we all through the collective work that we're doing, but especially you through the work that you're doing is like, uh, let's not get sick. Yes. Let's feel good in our body. Let's not feel shame. And let's be happy so we can focus on the things that matter.
1: Let's repeat that piece that you just said about fat loss. A weight gain is an early indicator. That's crucial. It's an early indicator. If we can look at fat loss, that there are imbalances in the body. It stops you from really developing something more damaging down the track.
0: Because especially fat loss in certain areas, obviously that people have different body types and some people are just normally a little Mm -hmm. bit bigger and some people are smaller, but visceral fat, right? Can you just just chat for a second what visceral fat is and what we're learning about visceral fat as it relates to uh, certain diseases in the body?
1: Visceral fat is the hardened fat around the organs and it is in the abdominal area principally. So it's not what we call subcutaneous fat, which is that pinchable fat. So if you look at your stomach and this is particularly for men because it's more prevalent in men than it is with women and you have that sort of barreled stomach bulging out and you can't grab that the body fat there that's visceral fat
0: and it can even be for people who are like skinny fat right you may look normal on the outside but you could still have visceral fat on the inside
1: yes yes but you will have the subcutaneous fat that's going to be the first layer and then the visceral fat next now how do you end up with visceral fat that's cortisol it's and it's insulin it's not sleeping and it's alcohol Hmm. and there's some research to show that it's also lower testosterone levels so something to consider there yeah hey, so so like i look at body fat as a very innocuous early indicator of what's to come so if you can catch it early you really can stop yourself from chronic fatigue and autoimmune diseases uh, the process with fat loss is identical to the same process that you would be approaching it from a functional medicine perspective with any type of chronic disease state.
0: Donna, <laughs> you came on the podcast and we talked about it all. and yet There's <laughs> so much more to talk about. We're going to have to save that for a round two discussion. Uh, I'm so lucky actually you split your time between um, New York and L.A. and I'm here in Los Angeles right now. We're in our Santa Monica uh, studio uh, And so I get to see you every so often. I would love to see you more. Uh, Tell us how the world can find you online and social media and, and how people can work with you if they choose.
1: So on social media, you will find me only on Instagram, <laughs> and that's my name, Dana, Dana James, like D-A-N-A, James, and then my website is under the same name, and I then I have my functional medicine website, which is under Food Coach NYC, and I do work between New York and L.A. I love seeing patients, I get really enthused by it, I love watching the transformation, um, so come and say hello to me
0: and check out her book, The Archetype Diet. You can find it where books are sold. Everybody buys on Amazon, although. <laughs> <laughs> thank uh, you, Drew. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we super appreciate you and such an open and honest conversation around weight loss, fat, body type, image, and societal pressures. Um, and I want to apologize. You know, it's such a big subject. Mm-hmm. I and I'm always trying to figure out language. So anything that you weren't um, feeling or anything that I misspoke on here, or any way that you want to enlighten to this conversation, hit up Don on Instagram, hit up me on Instagram, hit us up on social media and uh, help us uh, expand our awareness if you want to jump into the discussion.
1: Fantastic. Thanks, Thank Drew. You
0: Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.